Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, it's always a pleasure to have repeat guests on the show. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Jerry Kornfeld of AskDrJerry.com. Um, and we're going to be talking about men's issues in particular. Uh, but w- uh, before we get into that, I just want to remind you that at ExitCoachRadio.com, you can listen to over, oh, I think we're up to 750 or so um, interviews that are indexed by 40 different topics. So everything from, again, health issues to uh, preparing for the exit of your business, driving up the value of your business, family business issues, life after exit, a wide variety of topics. So please join us there. So again, my uh, guest today is Dr. Jerry Kornfeld. He's been with us several times before. We've, t- we've covered a wide variety of topics, always interesting, always fascinating. And Dr. Jerry has a service called AskDrJerry.com. You've probably seen him on TV uh, as he's been on many uh, uh, news and information shows. Um, Dr. Jerry, we're going to talk about uh, your book, uh, Living to 100, uh, with a healthy, your, uh, I'm sorry, my hundred, your 100-year heart. Let me get that right. And we're going to talk about that today, and we're also going to talk about, um, I think we're going to talk about men's health issues today. So, Dr. Jerry, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much for joining us. Hey, Bill. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me back. And it's always a pleasure to have this conversation with you and your audience. It it always is. You know, we always get great information from you, and it's always interesting. We've talked in the past about things like getting happy to get healthy uh, and the importance of having a good attitude uh, and also, um, you're just keeping us up to date on what's going on. But one of the things we've talked about uh, recently is the fact that um, uh, men don't tend to uh, take their health as seriously as women do. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Tell us, before we get into that, tell our listeners about your service, Ask Dr. Jerry, and how that got started. Well, Ask Dr. Jerry really was a result of... Um all the talking I do, I do cruise ship lectures, I talk to executives, etc., and, uh, and, and I do a lot of television work. And there's always a, a period of time uh, after or during the talks when I get all kinds of questions. People ask me things that I would have uh, hoped their doctor would have been able to answer for them. But in today's environment, when doctors' offices are pretty crowded, time is an issue, uh, you're lucky to get some time with your doctor, but you don't have much time to ask questions. You leave the office and you get home, and um, your spouse, significant other, whatever, says, well, what did the doctor say? Did you ask him this? Did you ask him that? And they said, no, I didn't have time. And so you're left with lots of questions about things that are going on in your medical history, about what the doctor's diagnosis are, et cetera. And uh, you don't have a resource for them. And I think, well, uh, you know, that's what I've done my entire career as a family doctor, is sit in my office with my patients and discuss their health issues. And what I've done at UCLA when I, when I uh, t- teach medical students. So I decided there was a need for it, and so that's, that's the, that was the beginning of Ask Dr. Jerry, and um, I'm very busy answering questions. Well, and, and giving, giving great talks, again, as you said, for executives and groups like Vistage International and other groups. Now, uh, we had a conversation, and you told me that, um, that you tracked who was calling in for doctor's appointments, 
and and you also had a statistic uh, about um, who who is in doctors' waiting rooms, and it didn't sound like it was very good for men. So tell us a little bit about that, because we're gonna we're gonna focus a little bit today on men's health issues. Okay, um, but before I go off the air, there's a couple of things that I, want, I want to get out about some new, exciting information, and we'll do that when I get done with this, if that's okay with you, Bill. That's great. Uh, okay. but, yeah, but, but absolutely, it is, it is fascinating, because we men, for whatever the reason, and I sort of have the feeling a lot of it has to do with our macho image, our ego, that we're here to protect uh, our women and our children, uh, and, but our bodies are too perfect. We can't get sick because we're too perfect, and so we ignore our health. Women, on the other hand, uh, are much more concerned about health, and fortunately, they're much concerned about uh, their spouse's health or significant other's health. And so, um, over the years, I would see in my waiting room that majority of patients were female, not male. And this is pretty well, uh, after a survey that I've done and after some research that I've done, this is pretty well the statistic that doctors' offices see more female than males. And that's an interesting, interesting observation about how women, uh, by our culture, by our nature, etc., are more concerned about health issues. And so I sort of got interested in my annual physical uh, exams that I perform, and I do a lot of those for corporate executives, etc. And I was curious who made the appointment. So I had my secretary keep track for a significant amount of time of who called to make the appointment for the male physical. And the statistic, as you would imagine, 80% of the calls came from the spouse or significant other to make the call for the appointment for the male. So, you know, if it was up to us, um, we would stay away from the doctor's office, us being men, um, as, as often as we can. We don't like going to the doctor. And um, this, is, this is a significant aspect in our health issue. And then, uh, as we discussed, I believe that even when they get in to see the doctor, they don't. They kind of skirt around the issues a lot of the times. So oh, yeah, that's. Right? I mean, I I really get a kick out of the conversations because I I know what's going on with most of the med patients as they come in, and the conversation usually, hey doc, how you doing? How's your golf? Oh, you got a new car. What do you think? I mean, all these subjects, which have nothing to do with their health, are the topics that most men start the conversation up. And it's very nice to be social. And I, a, lot, a lot of these men have been patients of mine for a long time, and, and it's nice to have conversations with them. But I say, okay, come on, Tom, I, I know, I know, I know. We'll talk about the social. But what, what's going on? Why are you coming in to see me today? What's the problem? Oh, Doc, my wife is driving me crazy. I got this pain in my shoulder. And, and you know, it's, it's nothing. It's probably from playing tennis or something. But she's driving me crazy. So to satisfy her, I came in to see you. And that is a typical opening comment. I'm satisfying my wife by coming in to see you today. And then they go on to describe their problem in their shoulder. And I deal with that because that's their complaint. And um, they leave, and I've, I've given them treatment. I made a diagnosis, and, and they're gone. But an hour later, the phone rings. It's the wife. Uh, well, what happened? I said, well, his shoulder's okay. He's got a little bursitis. I gave him some medicine. No, no, no. I, I, I don't care about the shoulder. What about his chest pain? I said, what? Did he tell you about his chest pain? Not a word. All he talked about his shoulder. I sent him to you because he's having chest pain. Again, another typical conversation. We men are not great for admitting that we have health issues. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, because of that, of course, there's there's been a an uprising in the number of um, prostate cancer and other men's issues. I mean, it's it's huge. It's almost, uh, from what I read, it's it's as almost as prevalent as breast cancer. Although, like you said, men are reluctant to go in, so they're not getting diagnosed as quickly. Uh, and so there's this thing called a PSA t- test that men can take. Um, what's your opinion on prostate cancer and PSA test, Dr. Jerry? Well, you know, you know, it's very interesting that you bring that up, Bill, because that's a very, very hot topic in medicine right now. There's a major, major discussion going on as to the relative value of the PSA, the prostate screening test. Uh, is it worthwhile to do it? There was a period of time uh, not too long ago when it was a routine that any male over age 50 had a PSA test done. And it's a screening test for prostate cancer, which in its aggressive form is a very serious disease. So we were doing routinely as part of a physical exam a PSA test. And we were recommending at the American Cancer Society, American Urological Society, American Academy of Family Practice, all of these organizations were recommending that we have this test done as a screening test that we do similar to other screening tests that we've done. Well, over the years, uh, some interesting research has been done that demonstrates that the majority of the malignancies uh, in the prostate um, are not of a very high um, malignant state. It is a very serious disease when you have the very um, malignant form of this prostate cancer. But the statement was made that most men die with prostate cancer, not because of prostate cancer. Meaning as you get to a certain age, 80 plus, maybe 70 plus, that prostate cancer is pretty common, but it's a very benign form of prostate cancer. Well, that started simulating what is the value of having this test done uh, when a lot of the prostate cancers that are being diagnosed are really not malignant. And there are certain risks of of, um, the follow-up to a positive prostate cancer test. You have a PSA done, and it's elevated. Uh, Your doctor, your urologist, will most probably want to do a biopsy, which is the next logical step. PSA is a screening test. It tells you it's elevated. The next step is to do a biopsy to see whether you truly have a malignancy and what type of malignancy it is done. It is. And that has been done and done and done. And as a result, many, many men have had their prostate gland either surgically treated or treated with radiation. The question that came up is, and everything we do in medicine is based on risk versus reward. You always want to make sure that the reward of anything you have done is going to outweigh the risk of having it done. And vice versa, if the, the risk outweighs the reward, you don't want to do it. Well, they started to come up with the fact that there are many risks to having a biopsy, a prostate biopsy, or having a surgery, having a um, prostate gland removed surgically. And are these risks worthwhile? And so that has created this big, big debate, and it's been going on for a long time. Should we expose ourselves to the risks, by the way, the, the risks are uh, inability to control your urine, problems with your bowels, uh, erectile dysfunction, ED, which you've heard a lot of because of Viagra, um, inability to get an erection, uh, inability to have adequate sexual relationships, and, of course, infections. So if those are the risks of having the prostate uh, either surgically removed or treated with radiation, uh, 
is the reward of having the procedure done worth it? And now some conclusions have come up that is sort of summarizing it by saying um, routine PSAs. Also, by the way, there are a lot of false positives. Uh, you could have a prostate infection and the PSA could go up, prostatitis, etc. So the, the conclusion is coming down to right now that the recommendation is, number one, if you have a PSA done, and that's between you and your doctor, you and your doctor have to have the conversation of the risk versus reward. And if you still want to have it done, then you should absolutely have a conversation with the urologist about what the risks are, what the rewards are, and should I have it done. There are many people who are still having it done. It is a screening test. There are many people who say, well, you know, if I have cancer of the prostate, uh, I, I don't want it in my body. I don't care whether it's aggressive, not aggressive. I don't want it in my body, so I want to have the surgery. And there are other people who say, well, no, I think the risks are, are too great. I don't want to lose my ability to have sexual activity. I don't want to lose my ability to control my urine. And that's, that is a risk. So my, my, my summary for the whole subject is, what we used to do is a routine screening test. It's still around, but I think before you have it done, you and your doctor should have a conversation about it and its risks. And then you make the decision if you want to take the risk and go forward because of whatever reason. But it's important to understand now that we're not recommending it as a routine screening test for everybody. We're recommending that you have a conversation with your doctor before you have it done. Very good advice. And, of course, uh it's very dear to my heart because I was I was uh, diagnosed at at age uh, 53 with prostate cancer and I'm glad they found it and I'm glad I had the surgery but that was my choice and it was it was a very agonizing choice and it's a very difficult choice but the the test that you're talking about the after the biopsy they assign what's called a Gleason score to determine how aggressive it may or may not be and of course if you catch it in early stages it's it might cause very few complications and if you leave it uh until later stages it can it can kill it can kill or it can cause it can spread it can cause a lot of problems so it's a very difficult situation for a lot of people because as you said it, it may or may not be aggressive and it may or may not it might be a nuisance and it might be a lifesaver so uh very good advice from from Dr. Jerry there um now Dr. Jerry you said there's some new and exciting things that are happening uh in your world tell us what those are well, you know, as I've just said before, one of my major roles, uh, as, as they asked Dr. Jerry, is to keep abreast of everything that is going on. I, for, for many, many years, have been suggesting uh, that the most important thing anybody can do uh, for their health, and if I were to rate them number one to three, this is absolutely number one, is exercise. And I say that exercise is significant um, not only for your heart, but for your overall general health. It plays a role in practically all diseases, uh, in blood pressure elevation, and diabetes, prevention of strokes, etc. So I've always been a strong advocate of exercise. And lo and behold, over the years, all of my recommendations have been supported by research articles. There's always new research coming in. And a new article was just published. And the article is really very, very exciting because it talks about decreasing the chances of you dying and maybe adding up to seven years of your life. And this is a fascinating study that was, that was done just recently at the University Hospital in London in which they found 
that 25 minutes of brisk walking, and walking is what I recommend for everybody. You don't, have to, you don't have to join a gym, even if you want to, that's great. You don't have to run if you want to, that's great. But just simple walking. This study, 25 minutes of brisk walk a day can add up to seven years of your life. That's the headline. And they even say that people who don't exercise until they get to be age 70 still can improve their health. So it is just continuous, continuous information that our lifespan, and you know, my book, Your 100, Your Heart, and the series of lectures I do, Living to 100 with Quality, has as its number one recommendation, exercise. So if you exercise regularly, you can literally retard the process of aging, all based upon this new research which has just come out within the past couple of weeks. So I want to share that with your audience because I think this is, this is just more and more evidence that just going for a brisk walk, I talk about a 30-minute walk a day, can add literally years to your life. It's so simple, but yet for some reason uh, a lot of us just don't take the time to do it. That is that's simple and achievable for everyone. It's about what is that? About two miles, probably. So walk two miles, add seven years. Pretty good. Pretty good return on your investment. Yeah, I, you instead of using, Bill, instead of using distance, I like to use time. I don't. I don't really. I want you to do a brisk walk. So I want. I want that thirty minutes of time to do a brisk. You want to do longer? That's great. Uh, you want to. You want to put it into uh, a time schedule where you see how long it takes you to walk two minutes. That's also great. But just to keep it as simple as possible. Walk for 30 minutes, a nice brisk walk. I think it's just it's just evidence. Every single uh, moment that I do research, it, this pops up about how valuable exercise is. There's never been a study done that has not demonstrated that exercise can add years to your life. And unfortunately, we've become obsessed with exercise, meaning running or jogging or joining a gym. And they're all great, and I don't ever reject it, but just simple act of walking. Well, you always bring us the best tips uh, and great information, Dr. Jerry. And tell our listeners uh, that might have a senior center or something where they're looking for valuable content for uh, for their audience, for their members, um, how they how they sh- uh, what what you can bring to them and how they can get in touch with you. Well, the thing the thing that I really like to promote when I when I do these series of talks of Living to One Age uh, One Hundred with quality. And the two key words of this talk are with quality. Living to one age 100, um, unfortunately, if you're in a nursing home and in a wheelchair and not knowing who you are, nobody wants that. So my talk is based on the fact living to 100 and playing tennis. And I validate that. That's not such an out-of-the-mind uh, type of a, a statement. I validate it by showing slides of people's in their 80s, uh, in their 90s. I have a 90-year-old gentleman who just won a championship in weightlifting. I have a 101-year-old gentleman, a slide of this gentleman, winning a bicycle race in uh, France, running marathons. An 86-year-old lady who was a gymnast and uh, doing parallel bars. I mean, this goes on and on and on. Of people who have not accepted that the two numbers after their name should control their destiny. And this is the key fact. We are obsessed in our culture based upon our history going back two generations ago that when you get to be 65, your life is over. When you get to be 65, you're going to sit in a chair and retire. Those numbers are totally irrelevant. When I tell people that we have literally doubled our lifespan in the past 100 years, 
We're up to almost 80 right now. We've doubled our lifespan. And that's really because of advances in medicine, of course, advances in uh, ability to uh, evaluate various risk factors. But we no longer consider that you're old when you get to 80. I just recently put out a, uh, a post on LinkedIn, and the heading of that post was, Is 80 Old? And what I said is, I'm tired of hearing uh, people say, wow, that person is 80 and still working. They're still thinking like they did a generation ago. We now consider the 80-year-old the equivalent to the 60-year-old of the previous generation. So, folks, the major message is don't let the two numbers after your name control your destiny. Your ability, your activities should be, rightfully so, controlled by your physical condition and your mental condition. But don't let the numbers get in the way. So when I hear people say, wow, they're 80, they're still working, I say, so? So? We are no longer considering that to be old. And I think it's a major move. And so I do this whole series of five lectures in the Living to 100 with Quality Talk, in which I cover all the various aspects of what you can do and what you do in your life. And um, I, I just I just am overwhelmed by the response. Obviously, we all want to live longer, but we want to be alive longer and be obviously healthy so we can enjoy the added years of our life. And that's what I do, and you can... You can certainly reach me at my um, email address, which is kjbcorn, kjbcorn at AOL, kjbcorn at AOL.com. And I'd be most, most interested in talking to you about this subject. And that's kjbcorn at AOL.com, or visit his website at www.askdrjerry.com. Dot com. When the subject is health, ask Dr. Jerry. Dr. Jerry, thanks so much for coming on again. It's a pleasure to speak with you again, and I look forward to the next time. Always my pleasure, Bill, and I, too, look forward to the conversation again. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this, so please stay with us. Hi, everybody. This is Spike Reel for The Exit Coach. Business owners, can you name the eight key value drivers that you and your managers should be focusing on to increase the value of your business? Introducing the Sellability Score Index. Visit our website and answer 25 questions about your business, and you will instantly receive your Sellability Score, showing you how well you stack up in the eight value driver areas. It's a great management tool. It's absolutely free for our listeners. Just visit ExitCoachRadio.com and click Get My Sellability Score. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 